0: From the four corners of Southern California, this is The Hot Seat, and you're in it with me, Max Schwartz. It starts right now. Welcome to the fall semester of The Hot Seat, and we are all very excited that we get to start right out of the gate this September in what is my last fall in Annenberg Media Center. We are glad to be with you, and we are glad you are with us for what will be a great semester full of important guests spanning the spectrum of local, national, and international news. The first one of those individuals into the hot seat this semester is Representative Alan Lowenthal of California's 47th District, which includes Long Beach and parts of southern Los Angeles County and parts of northern Orange County. I have lots of important questions, and I do not want to keep the congressman waiting any longer, which is why my first monologue is shorter than it normally would be. So without further ado, let's get started. You are a member of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, and you are on the subcommittees for Asia and, uh, and the Pacific and the Western Hemisphere. You also represent the city that is home to the port of Long Beach, which it calls, quote, or which it calls the, quote, second busiest port in the United States, end quote. What is your position on the Trans-Pacific Partnership and why?
1: Well, we, I have not made a final decision until I see all the uh, written documentation. And uh, many, many chapters or parts were left open. What I did not do was to support the the Trade Promotion Authority, or the TPA, which we voted on in May and June. And that was to provide the president with the right to continue the negotiations uh, through the administration and then just have the Congress vote up or down. I wanted the Congress to have more of a say in the final outcome than just voting it up or down. So I voted no against the TPA. But I wait for the TPP, the final version, before I... Take a
0: stand, and what more do you need? What What are those details that you need in order to make a decision? Well, I want to
1: see the thing, the parts on uh, uh, independent trade unions. That countries such as Vietnam have an independent trade union, not 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 that we provide them um, a trade a, a promotion and and, uh, uh, and and have them really exploit their workers and not have workers have a say. Uh, I believe that many more businesses will go to. Vietnam because of the because of favorable conditions for uh, for low wages Uh, but I think that's only appropriate that we give them that uh, head start or that jump if they in fact actually uh, do not imprison uh, as they do uh, people who speak out against the government and that's really uh, what the Vietnamese government does it's a one party government that does not allow uh, any opposition and now we're and it exploits their workers. And so I am really concerned about that.
0: But as a whole, wouldn't the Trans-Pacific Partnership only benefit the Port of Long Beach?
1: Trade is going to happen. We are already reaching without the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Again, we're back to the record volumes that we had before uh, the economic uh, slowdown in the 2008. So you're right. I think it probably would help us. But that's not to say that we're not already reaching... Uh, uh a tremendous increase in 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 trade with asia and we will continue to do that with or without the tpp sure. i think it'd be very good if we had a good agreement and i think it would help us the, as we shift towards the pacific but with or without it we're going to have trade increase in the united states this is not the the, the decision that will stop trade or promote trade solely by itself without the tpp uh, Southeastern Asian Asian countries have become much more uh, trading partners. What it does is change the the uh, uh, the floor. It changes the standards. It changes the conditions under which we trade. And I think that's only good. Uh, but,
0: but you're not worried ne- Whether we
1: have it or not, we will have increased trade with Asia.
0: But you're not worried about a negative effect at all on the ports then if it's rejected? No,
1: no, no, no. I'm not worried about a negative effect upon the ports. And that's why the unions in the ports... Did not take, as I believe, a formal stand. I think we need a good agreement. I think that will help trade if we have a good agreement. But I think without the agreement, trade will still continue to grow.
0: Okay. And staying on the topic of foreign affairs now, I'd like to now move to the Iranian nuclear deal. And as of August 26, you were in support of the agreement. What What led you to that decision?
1: When I read everything, I went through and looked at all the condition, you know, all the classified documents, all the unclassified documents. Met with uh, uh, the administration, went to the White House, spoke to the president about it. Met with the, spoke on the extensive conversations with the uh, Israeli ambassador, Mr. Dermer. Uh, I spoke uh, with uh, J Street and APAC. Many, many, many meetings with them. Those are both pro-Israel groups, one supporting the agreement, one opposing the agreement. And at the end, I just looked at what the alternatives were. And I believe that uh, uh, by turning down the agreement, there were greater downsides than supporting the
0: agreement. There are TV commercials running that claim that Iran will be able to build a bomb after the, the deal Iran expires. Iran will
1: build a bomb today. They have enough fissionable material for ten atomic bombs. That's what we've, we've all learned. They are. Uh, they have. Uh, uh, without this agreement, they will have both uh, uh, two nuclear enrichment facilities and one plutonium—a uh, w- uh, facility that takes highly enriched uranium and puts it into plutonium-grade uranium and 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 ready for an atomic bomb. And that's that's Iraq. Uh, facility. All of those will be in place, and they will be, do, be able to build a bomb today. If the if the agreement goes into place for at least 15 years, we Iraq will have will have removed its core. It will not be able to uh, enhance uranium to plutonium level, bomb level readiness. It will it will uh, reduce its centrifuges in uh, Fordo and Naranes, especially in Fordo. It will allow monitoring to go on. And we will be able to see the life cycle of it. So I think you're right. In 15 years, in once the agreement, they will be able to enrich again. But right now, if the agreement goes away, they can enrich tomorrow, and they're ready right now to build a bomb. They are ready for a bomb right now.
0: Well, then would you? That's what led to this. Would you want something ultimately that goes further than 15 years? Then,
1: obviously, I would have liked that. You know, I, obviously, I would have liked, as the Israelis have said, to have had uh, an agreement that, that allowed no nuclear development. But that, that train left the station. Two years ago in the interim agreement, we agreed not to dismantle the entire structure, but to reduce it to such a level that for an extended period of time, Iran would not be able to enrich or to develop a nuclear weapon. And that's really what we decided to do two years ago. Uh, and uh, now we've worked out that final agreement with all the particulars. But if you ask me would I have liked it to have been in the original, you know, when we first started to have no no nuclear capability at all, ever, I would have said,
0: yes, of course, that's what.
1: But that was, you know, in a negotiation you don't get everything that you want. But it's a good agreement.
0: Okay. And you also said in the press release where you expressed your support, you said that you quote, have never studied an issue in such depth. End that's quote. right. Now, how come? What do you mean by that, and how come you haven't studied other issues at this desk? Because we,
1: this is the most important decision we're going to make in my, in my tenure in the Congress. This is a, this is a major critical step in uh, whether, whether we will use diplomacy or whether we will use military might to force an adversary uh, to not develop a nuclear weapon. And for that, I needed to listen to all sides.
0: Don't you need to do that though for any but the, issue? But,
1: but the, the tremendous amount of this was classified material. You could only read it in special briefings. You only, and then you had to meet with both sides, and then each side wanted to keep coming back. Now this is the most important decision that the United States Congress will make in this in the 114th session, and maybe in potentially in in the last decade.
0: I understand that, but do you meet with all sides for? and Everything. review all material for every issue?
1: Yeah, well, those that are really important. I don't, you know, we have hundreds of issues. I can't say I, th- I, I studied this in more depth than any other issue I've ever studied in the Congress.
0: Okay, and I'd now like to move to a local issue because we are running short on time. Southern California Edison had multiple failures, literally and figuratively, in Long Beach over the summer. What do you think about their lapses?
1: Well, I think it just shows that, you know, that the, you know, that uh, we've allowed, whether it's Southern California Edison or all our utilities or much of our, our other infrastructure, we have not maintained our infrastructure, either the private sector or the public sector. I think it reflects the lack of investment in maintenance and infrastructure. And I think it's not only the private sector, but we have not done that in the public sector either. We have not built bridges, we have not built roads. Uh, we have a lot of infrastructure. We have not been paying attention to our infrastructure and I think the utilities you know these are very have not really spent as much money whether it's PGE PG&E in the north Southern California Edison and the here in the Los Angeles region I don't think they have paid as much attention to to maintenance of existing infrastructure
0: And do you think that these companies that have been given utility monopolies should be required to reach a higher standard than other companies, or should these... I think
1: that'll be... You mean investor-owned utilities? They are monitored and regulated by the Public Utilities Commission. I think that's the responsibility of the Public Utilities Commission, to make sure that that infrastructure is up to date. I think there have been some questions about that, whether the public utility, the PUC, has really done its job. And we saw that originally... With some of the issues with uh, uh, the infrastructure of PG&E in Northern California, when you had that eruption and many people lost their lives,
0: do you think they've been doing their job?
1: No, I don't think that they've been invest. I don't think the companies have been investing in infrastructure, but I don't think the public sector has been investing in infrastructure either. So we have to be very careful of the you know the the pot calling the kettle black because we've all been not investing in infrastructure. But that does not excuse them. And I think it's the responsibility of the PUC to make sure that the public is safe. And I think this will be brought up before the PUC. And I think the PUC has to hold Edison accountable if, in fact, this was negligence on the part of Edison.
0: And are you working on anything on the federal level that would give the PUC additional power or that would uh, the
1: PUC is a state agency, and, and investor-owned utilities are regulated by the state, not the federal government.
0: Couldn't the federal government set X standard and then all these companies, public or private, have to be above X standard?
1: I think so. I probably so. But, you know, these these companies are, are you know, uh, there's always that possibility. But again, they are regulated, all the regulations for investor-owned utilities uh, are regulated by state-regulated by state, by state regulated public utility commissions. And for this federal government to come in, they would have to see an absence of action by the PUC in California. And I don't know if that's going to happen. But potentially it could. But again, I repeat, the first step is to have the California Public Utilities Commission investigate what is taking place and determine whether, in fact, uh, Edison is living up to the agreements as set forth by the PUC in California to the investor-owned utility, Southern California Edison, and whether they are living up to the terms of their agreement. Sometimes things happen that are not the fault of the utility. Sometimes they are because of negligence. I don't know what the answer is, and that's really up to the PUC to determine.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Congressman Lowenthal, and thank you very much for joining me in the hot seat today. It was a pleasure, and we hope to have you back on before May. And to those listening, thank you for allowing me to join you wherever you may be. It is great to be back. The hot seat after hour starts right now. You can email the hot seat inbox the hot seat with Max Schwartz at gmail.com, or you can tweet me at Max Schwartz TV. You can subscribe to the hot seat newsletter by clicking on the link on our page. Go to Annenberg slash podcast and click on the link underneath the hot seat description and enter your email address. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me in next time with Fair Observers Atul Singh. At the end of every semester, I thank the faculty and staff who are involved with the production of The Hot Seat. Unfortunately, I forgot to do that last semester. So I'd like to thank faculty advisors Willa Seidenberg, Karen Lowe, and Alan Middlestadt, along with the technical advisor Sebastian Grubaugh for everything they have done and continue to do to make this podcast possible. Good day.